So without further ado, I see some people are jumping on. Um, let's just go ahead and get into this. So um, in her- hermetic teaching, two principles that I want to lay forward is God. When we talk about God from a hermetic perspective or from an occult perspective, and again, I know most people in our culture associate the term occult with something evil or wicked, <clears throat> Satan worship or whatever. When I'm using the word occult, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about exploring the hidden layers of our own being, the hidden powers of our own being, and the hidden layers of creation from the perspective of occult philosophy, again, particularly hermetic philosophy that has been passed down. So in hermeticism, there is this idea of God. God is kind of a uh, difficult word because we associate, in the West at least, we associate God, the idea of God, the idea of a creator or source with the Judeo-Christian model or the biblical model. And the God in the Bible is very much what we call um, in theology or biblical studies very anthropomorphized. And what that means is that God, the creator, the designer, has been turned into something like a human being. <laughs> Someone once said, I can't remember who it was, that God made man in his own image and man returned the favor. <clears throat> so we see, and I've said this several times, but we see in the Old Testament, particularly Yahweh having all kinds of human features. We talk about the hand of God, the face of God. And also human emotions like wrath and jealousy and, of course, love and these kinds of things. From a hermetic perspective, they would say that God is the all. It's actually the difference between a creation that is other than God, that is made by God and other than God, versus what we might call emanation, which is God emanating God's self into various different forms. And so, therefore, from the perspective of Hermeticism, God is called the all. Everything is divine, or everything is an aspect of the divine. Not just a creation, but an actual aspect of the divine. And that includes you, and that includes me. So, as human beings, we are um, divine, but everything (laughs) has within it this divine essence or nature. So... The way this is understood is that, and it's it's similar to how um, I suppose cosmologists view creation when they're talking about the Big Bang, that God existed <clears throat> in this sort of homogenous unit, <laughs> undifferentiated, in other words, just as one thing, as a monad, and exploded out, so cosmologists would tell us that everything existed in this tiny ball of energy, and then there was this huge explosion where everything began to differentiate and arrange until we ended up through evolution and various processes where we are today, right? So the Hermetic teaching is similar to this, only it would presuppose a divine intelligence, that is in this homogenous homogenous unit that then differentiates itself in order to know itself. So you can think about it like light um, 
exploding out or divine energy, divine life exploding out. And then for lack of a better word, sort of diluting itself and its energy through various different levels. And most traditions have seven different levels of this or 10. <laughs> if you look at the tree of life the in Jewish Kabbalah, <clears throat> I don't know if, how many of you are familiar with some of those things. But the idea is, is that there's, as God is descending, there are these realms or layers of reality that are being created. And the end result of that is the material world. So you could think about, if you know the tree of life diagram, at the top of the tree of life, there is what's called Kether. And at the bottom of the tree of life is what's called Malkuth. And Malkuth is a word that usually gets translated as kingdom, but in the Hebraic, it's feminine. So you can think about it as the queendom. So you can think about everything starting in Kether. (laughs) Excuse me. You can think about that as the father or the masculine energy. And ending in Malkuth, which is the feminine energy. In other words, and the the word Kabbalah simply means to receive. So the recipient of everything is in the material realm and in the material world. And so from this perspective, there are, there's the material world in which we live in these bodies. And then there are levels, spiritual levels, and there are entities or beings that occupy and operate in these various different levels. So that's the first thing I want to lay out in order to talk about this. The second thing is this idea of polarity. Now, polarity is self-evident, right? We have light, we have darkness, we have hot, we have cold, we have male, we have female. And so... There's also this understanding of polarity, not just in the material and physical world, because the material and physical world is simply the the terminus. It's the end point of everything else. But all of these other layers contain within them these same principles. So there's polarity that exists on the spiritual plane as well that gets referred to almost metaphorically. I think metaphorically. I don't think literally, although I'm not dogmatic on that point. But there's this polarity of light and darkness, a polarity of light and darkness. Now, last week I talked about duality in the sense that light and darkness are completely separate and that whatever is in the light. Now, this is a perception. This is a perception that that we have today, especially in spiritual circles, that everything that comes from the light is good and holy and loving and high vibrational and pure and full of truth. And everything that comes from the darkness is evil and deceptive and malevolent and destructive. And these two categories exist separate from each other. You could think about it like a light switch, right? Uh, If I turn a light switch on or I turn a light switch off, it's it's binary in that sense, right? It's dark, it's off, there's no light coming through, or you turn it on and there's light. And so we have a tendency to think in terms of spirituality, when we talk about light and darkness, we have a tendency to think about it in that way. And then we project our own ideas of good and evil 
onto this system. But that is a distortion. That's a map. That's not really how it is, because when you're dealing with polarities, you're dealing with poles, right? You're dealing with something that is the same at different extremes. So you can think about it more like a dimmer switch (laughs) rather than a light switch, if that makes sense. Trying to help you understand the, this idea of polarity is that you've got these, when you're dealing with polarity, you have tension or extreme extremes on both ends of the spectrum, right? On both ends of the pole. And that's different than this duality that I'm talking about where they're completely separate categories. And and so what we've done is we have taken the poles and we have separated them completely and we think about them both in terms of their extremes, extreme light or extreme darkness, right? And then we project onto it. If it's extreme light, it's all good. It's all loving. It's all pure. It's all divine. And if it's dark, then it's all evil. It's all malevolent. It's all destructive. But if we take the hermetic point of view or some of these more ancient points of view that God is all or God is in the all or that polarities exist on a spectrum rather than separate camps, then we can embrace all of it as being divine. We can embrace all of it as being sacred. We can embrace all of it as being good. And then we can find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum or that pole between light and darkness, if that makes sense. So in order for creation to happen from this perspective, again, in order for this, for creation to happen, there had to be the light, there had to be that creative energy, that creative force, but there also had to be the receptive force, there also had to be the darkness. So again, to use the tree of life diagram, if you're familiar with it, it has three poles, basically three columns, that's a better way to say it, three columns on the diagram of the tree of life. One is masculine energy, one represents the masculine energy, The other represents the feminine energy, or one represents expansive creative energy. The other one represents restricting or destructive energy, masculine and feminine. And then there's a middle pillar that's in between the two extremes. And the middle pillar is where, in that system, you find your balance. Now, you see this idea of polarities and opposites working together in Taoism, right, with the yin and the yang. Buddhism, <clears throat> sorry, I'm having a really hard time this morning with my voice. Buddhism talks about the middle path, and I want to talk about living in the twilight zone, <laughs> finding balance between these forces of light and darkness and not going to extremes on either end. So I'm going to use uh, a couple of scriptures this morning to illustrate this point, how these things affect and work in our lives. Uh, before I do that, though, I want, I want to make this point. So I want to look at a polarity also, not just light and darkness polarity, but I want to look at a polarity between spirit and matter. That on the one end, you have the highest vibration of light, of divine light, of source light, if you want to call it that. 
<clears throat> and then on the other end, you have the material world. That's also a polarity. That's also something that exists on a spectrum that's not dualistic totally in its nature. It's all one unit. It's all one thing. But I want to <clears throat> look at this scripture from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 is interesting to me because at the beginning of the chapter, uh, it says that some disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and they made an interesting statement to Jesus. They said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? The reason this is important is because earlier in the gospel and earlier in the story, John the Baptist identifies Jesus to his disciples as he is the one who is to come. He's the one who's mightier than I. I baptize you with water, but one's coming who's mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loosen. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he identifies Jesus as the one. So something's going on with Jesus that causes the disciples of John the Baptist to not recognize him when he shows up, even though he's clearly been introduced to them. (laughs) He's clearly been identified by John the Baptist. So apparently Jesus and the way he's conducting himself and the things that he's doing are... not fulfilling the expectations or the ideas or the thoughts of the group that was being prepared for his coming. Because remember, John the Baptist is there to prepare the way for the Lord, right? He's there to prepare the way for Christ. And so presumably then his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, are going through a process of repentance, they're going through a process of baptism, they're going through an initiation, if you will, that should be preparing them to recognize the Lord, right? Because he's preparing the way of the Lord, and yet he's doing something that seems to be contradicting that or seems to be going against that, at least enough so that they have enough doubt and enough uncertainty about Jesus and who he is and what he's doing, that they say, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I find that really fascinating. And then Jesus goes on and he says this, he says uh, <clears throat> in verse 16, he says, but what? To, but to what shall I liken this generation? What is this generation like? He says it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you. And you did not lament. So now we're talking about the polarity of human experience and human emotions. We celebrated. We played the flute. We came with joy and mirth. And you didn't dance. You didn't join in. So we went to the other polarity. We went to the other extreme. And we mourned for you and we grieved for you. And you did not lament. You didn't go to either level. It's like it's like we couldn't get through to you no matter what we did on either side of those emotional polarities. You see the polarity there? But this is the point I really want to get to. Jesus says here, he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he says, but wisdom is justified by their children. So for me, this passage fits into this idea of, these polarities, right? Because you have singing and song and dance and joy on the one hand and lamenting on the other hand. And then you have 
John, who uh, earlier in the chapter, Jesus says he's not wearing soft clothing. He's wearing camel's hair. He's wearing rough clothing. He's fasting. He's not eating and drinking. His diet consisted completely, if we can believe the scriptures, if we take it literally, consisted completely of grasshoppers, locusts, and honey. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, you looked at that. You looked at his lifestyle, and you said, he has a demon. And then he says, the son of man, or Jesus came, eating and drinking. And they say, look, he's a glutton. He's a wine-bibber. He's a friend collectors and sinners. So we also see this polarity in the approach to the spiritual life, right? So on the one end of the extreme is the aesthetic life, the John the Baptist life. A He was out in the wilderness by himself. So he was like kind of, you, you can think about it like a, a, a monastic type movement. Right, where we renounce the world and we leave the world and we go live in some monastery somewhere and we fast and we pray all day and we seek God and we seek union with God and we do um, all kinds of aesthetic or uh, things that make us uncomfortable. You see the same thing in a lot of Hindu uh, yogis and stuff where they will, uh, you know, do all kinds of things to make themselves physically uncomfortable. Um, with the purpose of transcending this life, transcending the material world, in other words. not It's kind of a renunciation, if you will, of materialism. It's a renunciation of the material life. It's a renunciation of the physical life. And then Jesus apparently comes embracing that, indulging in that, eating and drinking, a glutton, a wine-bibber, um, indulging in these relationships, and... <laughs> The people aren't responding to either one. So he says, this is how I would liken this generation. So this is an interesting dilemma because you have John the Baptist, who's on the aesthetic side of things, who's on the renunciation side of things, renouncing material goods, renouncing wealth, uh, off in the wilderness by himself, wearing uncomfortable clothing, fasting, praying, repentance, turning, excuse me, I'm really having trouble today, turning from this wicked generation, right? And then you have Jesus doing the exact opposite. And in that generation, even though even though John the Baptist prepared these people to recognize Jesus or recognize Christ, they didn't recognize him. And I find this so interesting because I think this pertains a lot to what's happening today. And perhaps this has to do with the procession of the equinox. Now, if you don't know what the procession of the equinox is, I'm going to make it really simple for you and just say that about every... <clears throat> Sorry, 2,000, 2,500 years, 2,600 years, depends on um, who you talk to. <laughs> there is a dominant zodiac sign in the eastern sky during the spring equinox. So the sun, when the sun comes up, um, it will come up placed in one of the zodiac signs on that particular day every year, and it moves just a little bit, a minutia, every year, and then they say usually about, it takes about 2,600 years, and then if you were to look at the sun coming up during the spring equinox, it would come up under a different sign. That's definitely affirmed and recognized in the Bible, because in the Bible, when Jesus shows up, it's, it's a shifting of that sign in the sky, 
And we're moving from the age of Aries, the age of the, the ram or the lamb in the sky, that zodiac sign, to the age of Pisces or the two fish in the sky. And we see this <clears throat> in the literature itself. And what I mean is in the Bible itself, because if you think about it, Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. And so everything was about that. They sacrificed a lamb. They killed a lamb during the spring, right during the sign of Aries. That's why if it had, if it had been during a different time that the Passover happened, if it had been under the sign of Taurus, for example, then they would have killed a bull. But they killed a lamb because they were in the age of Aries, the ram. So when Jesus shows up. Now, baptism is a thing. Water is a thing because the fish, Pisces, obviously, is a water sign. And Jesus begins to recruit fishermen rather than shepherds. <laughs> and it's interesting that John the Baptist, as we're talking about him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's talking about Jesus being the last Passover lamb, if you will. And Jesus says, this is the sign that will be given to this generation. No sign shall be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what happened to Jonah? Jonah was swallowed by a fish. So as the Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And that will be the sign to it. It will be the sign of the, the, the fish, of the shifting and the changing of the ages. So he dies as the lamb, but he's raised as the fish, right? He's vomited <laughs> out. The sign of Jonah is the sign of a fish. So it's all over in the scriptures, but that's just to give you an idea. So definitely the Bible is being set in the shifting of the ages according to the procession of the equinox from the age of Aries, <clears throat> the lamb, to the age of Pisces, right? And so he's talking about this generation. What shall I like in this generation that's at the end of one age and at the beginning of another age? Because when the new age begins, there is a shift. There's a massive shift in human consciousness. There's a massive shift in the energies, if you will, that affects us and impacts us. And so we're living in a time where most people think that we're either in the age of Aquarius or we're at the very end of the age of Pisces and the beginning of the age of Aquarius, but either way, we're on the cusp of that. So just like the generation of people living during the time of Jesus, we're living in that same kind of shifting and changing of the ages. And what's interesting, I think we're already in the age of Aquarius just by looking at what's happening in the world, because uh, even though Aquarius sounds like a water sign, and water is definitely part of it, but it's considered an air sign in regards to the four elements. It affects the air. So <clears throat> just look at travel. In the age of Aries, which was a fire sign, almost all travel happened by land, right? As Pisces comes around, now we're crossing oceans and shipping is a thing. And... We're learning to travel by water. Well, Aquarius is an air sign, so now we're flying in airplanes, right? We're shooting rocket ships into outer space. Wealthy people are for their friends, or uh, we've been to the moon. But also, uh, Wi-Fi is a signal that's coming through the air. Your cell phones, satellites, 
the communication explosion, the information age. All of this to me seems to point to the fact that we're already in the age of Aquarius. But regardless, we're in this season. We're like that generation. And so there's a shift and a change that's happening. And so it's difficult to let go of the old in order to embrace the new. And we have, uh, as that's going on, we're feeling more than probably previous generations, the pull and the tug of these various different polarities. Now, from an Eastern perspective, they talk about the changing of the ages. They also talk about this. They call them yugas. In shamanic uh, traditions, indigenous traditions, um, they talk about these same things as well, but they use different language that I can't remember off the top of my head right now to describe it. And everybody's saying... Uh, that we're coming into this shifting of the ages. And one of the ways that they describe the ages from an Eastern perspective is in terms of these polarities of pull from uh, spirit communication, in other words, greater awareness of these higher realms and higher levels of creation that are non-material, that aren't matter, <laughs> that don't exist in time and space like we think about time and space, but they exist in these other dimensions. And so ancient people were far more likely to have communication and communion with the spirits. Now, as modern people who have emphasized the material side of life, and we've emphasized technology, and we've emphasized the scientific method, the age of enlightenment, and the age of reason, and all that stuff, we look back on these ancient texts where people are communing with nature spirits, or they're communing with higher uh, vibrational interdimensional beings that they called the gods or they call angels or whatever the case may be, right? And we read those texts and we look at those people groups and we think, well, they, they weren't, you know, they just hadn't been enlightened yet. The, the age of reason hadn't happened yet. The scientific age hadn't happened yet. And so they were just doing the best they could to understand the nature of reality. And I would argue that it's not that they were stupid. They were not stupid people. Uh, I challenge anybody that thinks people that lived, uh, you know, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, go read their texts, texts, go read their writings, go read Plato, go read the, some of the Greek philosophers. They're extremely intelligent and extremely profound. It's not that they didn't understand the nature of reality. It's just that they weren't as committed to exploring only one level of reality, which is the material world, and use one level of reality to improve their lives, which is science and technology. So, on the one end of the spectrum, you had a group of people that were more aware of the soul. They were more aware of the ancestors. They were more aware of spiritual energies and spiritual beings and spiritual life, right? So they were more on the light end of the spectrum, if I can use it that way. And so the way that this is understood in the East is that humanity as a whole goes through these cycles where they are uh, like the golden, in the golden age of spirituality and uh, truth and justice and all of these things, right? And harmony, living together with harmony with nature and nature spirits and all this stuff. And that as we go through this procession of the equinox or as we go through these ages, that humanity begins to be pulled downward more towards the material plane and the material aspect. Now, again, 
all of this is good. The material realm is good. The material aspect is good. The spiritual realm and the spiritual aspect is good. None of it is bad, but there are polarities that pull us to one extreme or to the other. And so here's what I think is happening. I think that in the last age that we've had, that humanity has been being pulled more towards the material end of the spectrum. Humanity as a whole is being pulled more towards the material end of the spectrum to that level or to that extreme. And I think that for a lot of people what's happening is that there is this sort of spiritual awakening. There is this energy that's hitting a lot of people that's causing and creating a shift in consciousness away from that and more towards a spiritual life, a spiritual understanding, a multidimensional understanding, a quantum field understanding, a consciousness understanding. We're seeing that more and more, I believe, as we progress into the age of Aquarius, right? But we're on the cusp. This is the point I'm trying to make. And when you're on the cusp, those polarities, those things are pulling at you and... Because of that pull, because we're waking up and we're sensing that pull, that pull from the poles, (laughs) we can have a tendency to, again, get out of balance and go to one extreme or the other and end up out of balance, end up not in that middle path, so to speak. And so for me, one extreme is spirituality, a lot of New Age spirituality and stuff, that a lot of channeled works, a lot of different things, they're coming from higher vibrational beings or beings of light, higher level beings, beings that are not material. They're not corporal. They're not embodied. And humanity's getting in touch with that, and so they're being pulled and drawn to the light, if you will. The problem is, is that in most of these areas, it's being pulled into that realm, into that ascension level, as though this material realm is not as holy and as sacred and is every bit as much divine as those higher levels And realms. And so what if it's possible that there are beings of light who do not comprehend or have disdain for the material realm? They don't view the material realm as valuable. They don't view the material realm as valid. And so they look at us not necessarily from malevolent purposes, but they look at us as like, you poor little kids, why are you down there? There's so much suffering, there's so much pain, There, why are you in that world of polarity? We want to pull you out of that, we want to help you ascend out of that, we want to help you transform out of that and into this, so you don't have to go through that stuff anymore. So we could be talking about, possibly, in those realms, we could be talking about individuals, people who passed... uh who, who, you know, got off the cycle of reincarnation, who chose to get off the cycle of reincarnation and chose to abandon the material 
plane, right? Chose to, to abandon the material plane. And therefore, they're trying to get you to do the same. <laughs> or, and, <laughs> there are forces and energies, call them spirits if you want to, language can be so difficult when talking about these things because you never know, you know, people are so adamant about their, their language and what they call it. Um, there's also these spirits, if you will, or these energies, this polarity that's pulling us towards materialism. So on the one hand, one extreme would be scientific materialism. All there is can be understood by science and all there is is matter and energy. And we need to, we need to, to the exclusion of anything divine that we call God, to the exclusion of anything immaterial, to the exclusion of anything paranormal, to the exclusion of anything supernatural, to the exclusion of anything spiritual, and wants to pull you into just abiding in this material realm, just eating and drinking, you know, being a glutton and a wine bibber. <laughs> I'm using the text. I'm not calling people or scientific materialists gluttons or wine bibbers, so chill out. I'm just trying to illustrate the point. So with that in mind, I, I want to come back and I want to read because I talked about Jesus and Lucifer being um, being the same thing. <laughs> but I, I wanted to come back to this in Isaiah 14, verse 12, where it talks about Lucifer and it says, how you are falling from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Now, this is a prophecy, a metaphor for the king of Babylon, but there's a principle here. So he's talking about your kingdom is going to be cut down. But he says this, he says, for you've said in your heart, watch this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, never above God. People say that he rebelled against God and tried to overthrow God. That's not what it says. He says, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Watch the extreme there. On the farthest side of the north. See the extreme polarity there? So I'll ascend. I'll be brighter than any of the other stars. In the sky, I'll sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. That's what I want you to really get. And then he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And then he says, yet, yeah, but you shall be brought down to Sheol. So what if the Luciferic principle is this? What if the Luciferic principle is this idea of ascension that wants to escape the material world altogether that wants to condemn the material world as something evil, as something that's a prison, as something that is to be completely escaped and pull you up into a higher dimension, pull you up into a higher density. And what if these spirits and I'm not I'm not using Lucifer and Satan synonymously. I'm not at all. What I'm saying is, is that. What if the Luciferic principle and the Luciferic energies are those that are sitting at the farthest 
side of the north. Exalted above the stars of God. In other words, they're choosing to be all the way over to the extremity of the spiritual side of things. See what I'm saying? The higher realm, the light. And what if that's not all good? You can be blinded by the light. If you go out and look at the sun long enough, you're not going to be able to navigate. You're not going to be able to see. It's going to blind you. In order to function in the natural world, there has to be balance. There has to be balance between light and darkness. If it was all light, we'd be blind. If it was all dark, we'd be blind. So if we go to one extreme or the other, we cannot see in order to navigate properly and correctly. And so perhaps it's possible then that what we're seeing, what this generation is doing is misjudging what, let's just say, what God is doing or what the plan for humanity is for our own spiritual evolution, for our own growth, for our own development. In other words, what if the next stage is not something that divides or gets us away from material and the body and the physical But what if it's something that marries, and then once the two are married, takes both, includes both, and takes it to the next level in this sort of balanced sort of way? There's a lot of people that are listening to, um, and this was true during the pandemic, um, but a lot of people that are listening to these beings these spiritual beings, what they call higher vibrational beings, what they call these beings of light, are completely throwing out common sense, completely throwing out science. Like it doesn't matter what science says about viruses or diseases or vaccinations or whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter what the science says about it. it doesn't matter what critical thinking might say about it. Because we're more enlightened than that and we have no use for any of that. And so it's being pulled by Luciferic beings into this very, you get it? <laughs> Light, spiritual, immaterial side of this polarity or of this spectrum. And then on the reverse of that, we see a lot of people deconstructing and going into complete scientific materialism or atheism who go to the other extreme and they almost get angry. Like, like this is the thing with a lot of people that I've interacted with. In fact, most with maybe three exceptions, uh, people that I've interacted with. If you start talking about spiritual experiences, you start talking about the paranormal you just start talking about some of this stuff that's been around forever. None of this stuff that I'm saying is new. This is all rooted in hermetic traditions, Rosicrucian, uh, teachings, um, None of this is new. And again, I'm going to stress that spiritual experiences, visitations, dreams, visions, precognition, telepathy, out-of-body experiences, healing, miracles, these these experiences, uh, 
visitations from beings from other dimensions. These experiences are ubiquitous to humanity. In every culture, in every generation, you're going to find not just one or two or three, not just a few exceptions. You're going to find millions of people that have had these types of experiences. You even find people in the academies who have to write and work within the paradigm of a completely scientific materialist worldview who have these kinds of encounters and these kinds of experiences, but they can't talk about them in the academies. And it's just funny to me that there are a lot of atheists. They get so angry. They, they get so haughty. Like, you're just so stupid if you believe that stuff. You're just not using any logic or any reason whatsoever because we know that science is the only thing that can describe our reality. We know that, that, that this material world is all there is. That's your presupposition. That's your philosophical presupposition. You don't know that for true, but for fact. There may just be experiences that you have not been exposed to. There may be realities that you have not experienced, and because you have not experienced them, you gravitate towards scientific materialism because that's popular, and it sets you free from the fear of death, and it sets you free from the fear of judgment because there is no God, there is no life after this, there is no karma. Where death is, I am not, and where I am, death is not. And, but it's, so it's, 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 it's a constellating of, on, on this other polarity of materialism. You see what I'm saying? So we're being pulled to both extremes. And so just like Jesus is saying, what is this generation like? We came with one polarity of joy and music and you went and joined the dance. So we came to you from the other polarity of weeping and mourning and you wouldn't lament and we came to you John the Baptist came to you uh, fasting and and with this aesthetic lifestyle and Jesus has come embracing you know uh being a glutton and a wine bibber and you 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 can't recognize either voice so this way of thinking about this gives me a lot more understanding and patience and compassion to be honest with you with people on both sides of the spectrum uh people that are choosing the polarity of scientific materialism i get it because they're the the pull they're just being pulled to that level and then also people who are just awakening and just realizing that there is more to reality than this material plane that there are other levels and planes and other entities and inter- interdimensional stuff and and these beings of wisdom and light that are coming and communicating with mankind and so the, the, it's almost like the pendulum has to swing really far the other direction but i think the goal is to live a healthy life to live a healthy life spiritually and emotionally and mentally to live a healthy life even physically uh, and to find our purpose is to find that balance between the two. And so that's why I titled this Living in the Twilight Zone, so that we recognize all of it is divine. We recognize all of it as useful and sacred, but we avoid the temptation to go to one extreme or the other. We avoid the temptation to go to one extreme or the other. In other words, we're not into escapism. We're not trying to get away from human experience. We're not trying to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. So you see, Christianity in and of itself is from this perspective, from the perspective of the farthest sides of the north in Isaiah 14, then and Jesus saying, I'm the bright and morning star in the book of Revelation, then um, Christianity, for the most part, is a Luciferic religion. <laughs> you can see why I, <laughs> I might have just blown 
something for YouTube. I, I forget that I, I stream these live on YouTube as well. And, and think I'm just talking to the, the private group. But you see what I'm saying? Because we were told, you know, to kill the flesh, kill your sexual desires. We were taught fasting is the way to, to, uh, prayer. We were taught, you know, re- renouncing wealth, renouncing material things, being in the world, but not of the world. It really is a John the Baptist style of Christianity. And what's so interesting to me also out of this passage in Matthew is that People who were immersed in the old very seldom recognize the new because they expect the new to look somewhat like the old. For years in the prophetic movement, those of you that were part of it, you know that for years we prophesied over and over and over again, um, you know, God's doing a new thing. Forget the old things. God's doing a new thing. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something you wouldn't recognize. I'm going to do something that you wouldn't believe if I told you. Why? Because it's it's new. It's nothing like the old. There's nothing in the old paradigm that can recognize the new. And that's why the, the disciples of John the Baptist are coming to Jesus, because they're not recognizing it. And the Pharisees didn't recognize John the Baptist, and they said he had a demon. They didn't recognize Jesus, and they said he had a demon. And so very often, that which is really showing the way and really pointing the way forward for humanity, when that voice is first heard, when it's the voice of one crying in the wilderness like John the Baptist, it often is not recognized or acknowledged. And I'm so grateful and thankful to find a community of people that say we want to find that middle path. We want to find that middle way. We want to live in the twilight zone. <laughs> in other words, what I'm saying is, is that you can embrace the best, you can have the best of both worlds by finding your balance. By finding your balance. <laughs> by finding the, the Visica Pisces. In other words, what's the Visica Pisces? It's when two circles <laughs> join, right? And it makes that fish shape. And if you go into a lot of uh, cathedrals, older cathedrals, you'll see Jesus, the, the image of Jesus, in the shape of the Vesica Pisces, the, the fish shape that you see on the back of people's cars, only it's standing straight up rather than on its side. It's, it's that middle path. It's that middle way. It's, it's embracing. It's like, I don't have to say no to food and wine and pleasure and sexual desires and, and, uh, enjoyment and art and money and, all the gifts, the gifts of the physical dimension and the physical world. And I don't also have to embrace that to the exclusion of what enriches my life spiritually. So I can experience these other realms and other dimensions of the spiritual life. I just have to be careful that I don't get pulled to one extreme or the other. And so therefore, I don't have to curse everything that is darkness as evil. Not everything that comes from the light is good and healthy and whole. And not everything that comes from the darkness is evil and malevolent and there to destroy you. There is power and treasures in both. The Bible even says, if you want to use the Bible, the Bible even says in Isaiah, uh, I think it's 45, God says, I'll give you the treasures of darkness. And so I talked about this last week, resonating with darkness, resonating with um, 
sensuality, right? The arts, the humanities, music. You know, these were all things early on in my Christian experience that I was taught to deny myself. You know, we only listen to Christian music. We don't go to rated R movies. We don't watch television shows that might, um, you know, except for the Waltons and Happy Days. I guess those were okay. Um, you, you see what I'm saying? And, 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 and then, you know, n- not really any appreciation for art unless it's Christian art, not any appreciation for music unless it's Christian music. Killing off our flesh. Not allowing ourselves to be angry when anger is appropriate. Not allowing ourselves to grieve when grief is appropriate. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not allowing ourselves to enjoy the full spectrum of our own sexuality or people's sexual orientations. Because it has to be done, you know, missionary style, just for procreation or whatever the case may be. Thinking that somehow if we fast, we're going to get to a higher level. If we spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in prayer, right, looking for the rapture, looking to to get away and get out of this, um, not caring about climate change, not caring about how we steward the earth, not caring about the environment because it's all going to be burned up and judged by God in the end and it's all just a prison for the soul in the end anyway. So his teachings have been around forever, teaching humanity that we should hate our bodies, that we should hate this physical world, that we should deny ourselves pleasures and sensuality, that we should ignore our pain and our traumas, that we shouldn't integrate the spiritual life and the natural life. And so what I'm advocating for when I'm saying living in the twilight zone, I'm advocating for balancing and integrating all of these energies and holding them within ourselves, holding the energy of light, holding the energy of the divine, holding the energy, right, of love and high, what we call high vibrational stuff, peace and joy. But at the same time, being able to find the treasures of darkness and holding the energy that comes to us, again, enjoying the gifts of the material world. <laughs> it, am I making sense to you? I hope I am. <laughs> Let's go back and look at some of these comments. I feel like I'm just going to keep repeating myself if I keep talking. Um, I'm going to have to change a setting or something on here because if you're commenting in Facebook, it says Facebook user instead of your names. I, I, I'm sure there's a setting or something on there that I can change. Um a lot of, a lot of people agreeing. Yes makes total sense. Genuinely enjoying your YouTube videos. Um, uh, probably in reference to when I was talking about ancient people, someone says, I believe they were more enlightened and wise because they didn't have the distractions of technology that we have now. You're probably right. Um, somebody says this kind of sounds like when we were taught the rapture theory. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought when, when I would hear about, you know, ascending and leaving this physical plane for a higher density or a higher dimension. It's like th- this is just the rapture theory in different language. So I'm glad someone else sees it that way as well. Uh, someone else says it has always been a balance. When I was a materialist, I pushed spirituality. Yeah, I did it for a while too. And I'm trying to, you know, come back. And, and again, 
we're living at the human age, right? So uh, there's no condemnation for any of this stuff. Like we're all trying to find our path in the midst of massive, in the midst of a massive sea of change, right? Somebody says, or the infinity symbol. Yeah, I was thinking about the infinity symbol as well. Um, yes, our Christianity was a John the Baptist type of Christianity. I had never really defined it in this way, but you are so spot on. Thank you. Um, ah, I love this. Babies are created in the womb and grow in the womb, and it's dark. I love that. In the womb, the most beautiful creation occurs in the dark. I love that. So on that note, I'm going to say... Uh, Goodbye. Thank you for watching this. Again, many of you have supported us with donations. Appreciate it so much. There's a link in there if you want to support our work um, while we're doing this, you know, for free on YouTube and in the Facebook group. But if you want to help us, it would really be a help so that we could do more um, and do it with more excellence. Then please consider uh, making a donation to our PayPal link there in the comments. Or description, I think it's in the description, not in the comments, it's in the description. Um, but God bless everybody, and I will be talking about this some more tomorrow night at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. I'll be on to answer questions. So if you have questions uh, and you can't be on live Monday night, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, please put your questions in the comments or in the group page somewhere so that I have some material to work with. Those of you that have caught it, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to catch it live. Those of you that are watching live, really appreciate that you set aside this time every Sunday to spend with me. I enjoy spending it with you, and I will look forward to seeing you again tomorrow night or next week. Actually, nope, next week, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I think next week I won't be able to do it because we're going to be on vacation, but I'll let you guys know. Um, but Definitely the week after that, I'll be back on, and I'll see if I can pre-record something or something for next Sunday um, to stream at this time. So anyway, have a great day. See you all later. Thanks.